nor bring shame on his friends. A uh, a despicable person is despised in his eyes, but he honors those who fear the Lord, who take an oath or a promise and then will not deter from that or in even in harm's way or to his disadvantage and does not change. He does not change from the promise that he has made. Anybody ever make a promise to you that they didn't keep? He doesn't break that promise. He does not lend or give his money to a fellow uh, Israelite or neighbor or friend at interest, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. One who does these things shall not be shaken. Now, I want us to look at that, and I want us to see who can walk in this kind of holiness except by believing. I heard a a statement the other day about believing that it is so easy to believe nowadays in all kinds of things. Uh, You can just pick anything, and you can believe, and if you believe it with enough people, then you can actually create political change and change the way news is made. It's so easy to believe, and it's so easy to stir up people to believe in just about anything. But the Bible says that believing is the heart of the one that is going to reside in God's camp and on his holy hill. Genesis 15, 6 says, Then he believed, talking about Abraham, in the Lord, and he credited it for his righteousness. Hebrews 11 kind of repeats that about many of the Old Testament uh, people and talked about how their believing, their faith was credited to their righteousness. But believing is, was not an easy thing. It was a choice on Abraham's life that God had made. Abraham didn't just one day say, you know what, I think it'll be really great to go to Canaan and serve God in Canaan. God called, the Bible says, Abraham away from his family, away from Ur, away from the wickedness of the world, and called him into this righteous walk, into the promised land, if you would, into his tent, God's tent, and his holy hill. All four of the Gospels repeatedly make reference to believing. They extensively talk about believing in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God. All four of the Gospel writers mention this. In Matthew 28, and I kind of have thrown Chris a curve. There are a couple of verses here that I didn't give her before time. But Matthew 9, 28 says, And after he entered the house, the men who the men who were blind came up to him. And Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said, Yes, Lord, we believe. Yes, Lord, we believe. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth confession, resulting in salvation. For the Scripture says, Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Romans 10, 9 through 11 says. We've used that in evangelism. I've heard Charlie repeat that many times in witnessing to people 
with our heart we believe, with our mouth we confess. And it's in the Lord Jesus Christ and His righteousness. I love the songs that we uh, just sang. He does deliver us out of Egypt, out of the Egypt that's in our lives. The first thing that we need to hear and understand is about the breath of God through Scripture. The breath of God through Scripture. Whenever I was teaching Bible at Bible Heritage, I had a little uh, middle school girl that... uh, as cute as she could be, but she uh, sometimes would not hear things the way that, that I said them. And so we talked about the inerrancy of the Word of God, and I said, the Bible is without error. And so whenever I gave a test on Friday, uh, and I put down, the Bible is without what? And she put down A-I-R, the Bible is without error. <laughs> well, she kind of was theologically correct that the Bible is full of air. It's the breath of God. Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is inspired by God. Or, if you look down in your, in your, uh, your footnotes or maybe a little parentheses beside that, the breath of God. All Scripture is inspired by God or the breath of God and beneficial for teaching and rebuke, for correction and training in righteousness. That means that the Old Testament and the New Testament alike breathe God, revealing us, revealing to us His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I want us to see that today through the Scripture. I want us to see that through what uh, uh, Psalms 15 says. In his book, The Bible Jesus Read, Philip uh, Yancey wrote, The more we comprehend the Old Testament, the more we comprehend Jesus. And that is true. And we're going to see how the answer to that question, who might reside in the tent of God, who might walk on the holy hill of God, the more we see that one that believes, that one that has the breath of God refreshed upon them, the Spirit of God refreshed upon them, that they might know the Lord Jesus Christ. The Old Testament breathes in the announcement of the coming of the Messiah. The Old Testament breathes out the revelation of God's Son, Jesus Christ. That is the one that might walk on the holy hill. The Old Testament breathes in the perfect picture of that person of integrity. And the New Testament breathes out, I will conform you to the image of his son. Paul wrote uh, in, uh, uh, in, in Romans that God calls us to be conformed to the image of his son. And that's what Psalm 15 says. If you put David and, and, and Paul together, you have the gospel of the Psalms and the gospel of the epistles of Paul. So now the second thing we see is, uh, well, what do we do? Here's our part. Well, let me tell you, God gives us a cheat sheet. Now, how many of y'all ever thought it'd be nice on a test to have a cheat sheet? Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand how many of you ever created a cheat 
sheep. <clears throat> you know, uh, I never was good at spelling, so if I ever wrote anything with my arm as a cheat sheet, I probably an hour later would think, now what does that mean? You know, <laughs> what's that word? I was in a, a sociology class at Wayland one time, and the professor was doing a doctorate uh, study, and he, uh, one of his points is he was going to, uh, that he was going to make is that no matter how hard you try, there are some students that are not going to make good grades. And so before our final exam, he gave us the test. He put it up on the screen on a, on a little projector and, and uh, the test exactly the way he was going to do it. And, uh, and then he told us that he was going to hand out that sheet. And he actually gave us the day before the final exam, he gave us the test to study. The only exception was, if you're not here tomorrow at 9 o'clock in class, then you're going to fail the test. There were three people that failed that test. It was a multiple choice test. I took it home and I started uh, writing down the answers and I realized that even in the multiple choices, there was a pattern. And if you just memorize the pattern, B, A, D, C, something like that, was a pattern that went all the way through the test. And if you just memorize that pattern, those four letters, I realized that you could make 100 on the test. The only test, final exam, I ever made 100 on in college was that test. But there were some that failed it. God's given us a cheat sheet. Actually, it's called the Ten Commandments. How many of y'all know the Ten Commandments in order? I mean, put your book right there. Anybody, raise your hand. You know the Ten Commandments in order. Uh, yeah, okay. Some of y'all remember Tommy Phelps. He used to be an evangelist here. He was a wrestler uh, with Terry Funk, the Funk family. And, and he got saved. When he got saved, God radically saved him. And, and uh, Tommy would preach, and he would pound the pulpit. He actually broke it pulpit at Don, Texas one time. Uh, we had him in a revival at the little church that I was a youth director in at, at Plainview when I was in college. And, and so we were going around visiting and there was a donut shop on 24th Street in Plainview. And, uh, and so uh, he wanted to stop and have donuts. We walked in and he'd walk up to tables and he'd slap down a $10 bill and he'd say, that $10 is yours if you can tell me the Ten Commandments in order. And he would do stuff like that, you know, and Don and I would kind of sit there and go, oh, okay, you know. I love the Ten Commandments. And uh, if you don't know them in order, you need to learn them in order. Don and I used to do a lot of children's camps, and we, we had a little chart that we could help kids, and we won't go into that. But the Ten Commandments, Exodus 21 through 17. God starts out the Ten Commandments by saying, I'm the God that brought you out of your Egypt. That's actually what verse 1 says. And then starting with verse 2 and going through 17 are the Ten Commandments. Who can walk with integrity onto the hill, the holy hill of God? He gives us that picture in the Ten Commandments. Who is the one that can live in the tent of God. He gives us that picture of the one. And actually, as you, as I say, you, load it, you lay the Old Testament along with the Gospels and the Paul, 
and you see the, the writings uh, interact with one another. And it's the breath of God breathing in this righteousness that we are to live in the New Testament, breathing out that it is God that has called us and conforms us to that image that he wants us to live, the image of his son. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 22, verse 35 through 40, and I'm not going to read all of this, but it starts out as uh, one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing, teacher, what is the greatest commandment? What's the greatest law? You know this scripture. And Jesus said, the greatest commandment is love God with all of your heart and all of your soul, all of your mind. And the second is likened to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. What they didn't realize is that what they, those lawyers have been studying all of their life, Jesus gave them this outline of the Ten Commandments. And we're going to look at that quickly. And this is the picture of what you are to look like, the image of the Son of God. Because he said, first of all, love God with all of your heart. The commandments are revealing to us a relationship with God a relationship with our neighbor, and actually even a relationship with ourselves. And that's what he was telling the lawyer that asked this question. Look at the Ten Commandments with me. First of all, a relationship with God. The first four, you shall have no other gods before me. In other words, God is number one. The second one, you shall not make for yourselves an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on earth beneath. Number three, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Number four, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Those four commandments are what Jesus said to the lawyer is the greatest commandment, to love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, or all of your mind. Those first four commandments describe for us the relationship that we are to have with God as we enter into His tent or walk on His holy hill. Those four commandments describe this relationship that we walk with Him. We know that God is number one. We know that we're to have no other God before Him. We know that we're not to have any graven images or any other God before us and there are many gods. There, there are not so many graven images uh, here in our life, but we do put things before God, don't we? And that becomes an idol, and we need to be careful. We're not to take the name of the Lord your God in vain, and that really is more than just cussing. I had a kid in my church at Shamrock. His dad uh, called me Monday morning, and he said, maybe it's coffee shop. i got to tell you what killed me. Uh, at lunch, after church, I was preaching on the Ten Commandments, and at lunch, little Tim told his parents that he was going to stop dipping snuff. He'd learned to dip snuff in, in school, and he told his parents he was going to stop dipping snuff. And so my friend then said, well, 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 how did you come to that decision? He said, well, because of Brother Jeff's sermon. And he said, I scratched my head, and I finally said, well, Tim, I don't think he said anything about dipping snuff. He said, yeah, but he did talk about cussing, and you can't dip snuff without cussing. 
Well, I've known a lot of people that dip snuff that, that didn't cuss, but apparently they can go together. But taking the Lord's name in vain, that means that as we speak the name of God, we're sincere. We're sincere about God. We're sincere about our relationship with God. I truly believe that any time we say that we are going to pray for somebody and we don't, then we've taken the name of God in vain. We've made the God's name just a vain thing that we throw out there, saying, I'll pray for you. Politicians do this all the time. The day after 9-11, or the Sunday after 9-11, I was invited to preach at a Methodist church in McLean. And uh, the preacher called me, and he said he was a new preacher, uh, had just started preaching, and uh, he was at McLean, and he said, Jeff, would you please come and supply? He said, I came to address my my congregation on this Sunday after 9-11. And so I went, and as I traveled down I-40, it was unbelievable how many trucks that, I mean, you'd seen trucks that had dirt on the back of their of their, of their uh, trailer, and, and, and in the dirt would be inscribed, uh, pray for America. And I've just wondered how many of them really were praying for America, because when we say we're going to pray for somebody, when we say we're going to make that commitment, to not fulfill that commitment is taking God's name in vain. Taking God's name in vain is more than just cussing. It's using God in a flippant way that might even try to make us look better. And then to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Um, We've got a chart, and I wish I had time to show it to you on how you memorize these these commandments, and it really is neat. But I like the one, number four, uh, the chart that Don and I use to teach the commandments to kids. is You make a four the old-fashioned way. You know, you make a three-six one down the middle of it, and you show a four. And then on this chart, we would make that look like a church pew with a kid, stick figure kid, sitting on the church pew. And that's how you remember. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. These four commandments have to do with our relationship with the God whose tent that we would desire to dwell in, his hill, holy hill, we would desire to walk on. The next five commandments, well, that's just nine, isn't it? Four, five, nine. The next five commandments, Jesus said, love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. And the next five commandments have to do with our relationship in society, our relationship with our neighbor. Who's our neighbor? Well, those that live in our own house, our brothers, our sisters, our cousins. Like I said, we have Camp Grand Buddy Nana uh, all summer with our with our grandkids and intermixed cousins that are our grandkids, and they get along very well most of the time. But our neighbor would be even those that live in our own house, that dwell in our own house. Our neighbor are those that live next door to us and down the street. Our neighbor are those that God puts in our way, perhaps for just a moment, even sometimes in an elevator. That person becomes our neighbor. And you enter into a relationship with that person. Look at the relationship. Look at the picture of that relationship. First of all, uh, commandment five, honor 
your father and your mother, so that your days may be prolonged on the land which the Lord your God gives to you. I've talked to a lot of kids that kind of were in trouble some way or the other. And whenever you talk to them and you start drawing things out, and even older adults, when you start drawing out the problems, it can go all the way back to a problem that a parent had. And their judgment of that parent, they're not honoring that parent. But you notice here it says, we uh, honor your father and your mother. It doesn't say if they deserve to be honored. There are some parents that do not deserve to be honored. I know that. I've seen some lousy parents. Now, don't ask my kids about their parents. <laughs> I've seen some parents that have made mistakes, some of them terrible mistakes. But the Bible says, judge not lest you be judged. One high school kid that, uh, that I had an opportunity to judge actually kind of put him in my charge uh, years ago. And uh, says, as long as you're meeting with Pastor Messer once a week, and I kind of get a report from him, uh, I'm gonna uh, I'm, I'm gonna kind of put off what we do here. But he was having trouble with alcohol. He'd been caught driving and drinking a number of times. And so, as I visited with this young man for a period of several weeks, he told me about his dad. Whenever he was like three, four, five, six years old taking him to bars and setting him on the bar stool and bar stool and teaching him how to flirt with girls and how to drink. And I said, well, how do you feel about that? He said, I despise that man doing that. I despise him. And I just can't get over that. And yet, judge not lest you be judged. He was falling into the exact same trap that his dad did. You see, Honoring your father and your mother has more to do with what you're going to do with your life and your outcome. It doesn't say that your parents' days will be prolonged. It says your days will be prolonged. And so it's a relationship. Even in your own home, we are to honor our parents. Number six, thou shalt not murder. I, I love this one too, and I'm not giving you all these symbols, but this is an easy one. If you turn a six sideways, looks kind of like a gun, doesn't it? Put a little trigger down there. And uh, number six says, Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not murder. I just served on the grand jury uh, a few months ago. Second time I had the opportunity to do that. And it's unbelievable the senseless murder that's going on in Amarillo. There were times several years ago that I was on the grand jury, and this time it was unbelievable the senseless murder that's going on even in our own town, Amarillo, Texas. Won't even get into, and I can't do that. Uh, the things that we had to see, and it just breaks your heart going off the field. But it's not just with a gun. It's not just by taking somebody's physical life. We can murder a person's reputation. We can murder that person. The Bible tells us to watch our mouth that it does not slander. Number seven, thou shalt not commit adultery. That means that we just are faithful. And as David looked on Bathsheba, he committed adultery, and then he turned around and committed murder. And that was David, the man after God's own heart. And we think, these are things that I won't do. These are things that are 
not going to be a part of who I am. And yet, it's so easy. It's so easy. And God said, thou shalt not commit adultery. Just be true. The relationship that you have with your mate, just be true. And by the way, I think you need to be true to your mate even before you are married or even before you meet your mate. That's an important thing. Be true to your mate. Thou shalt not steal. I like this one too. You turn an eight sideways, looks like a pair of handcuffs. What do they do when you steal? They arrest you, put you in handcuffs. Thou shalt not steal. There are a lot of ways to steal other than just taking something off the shelf. You know how Billy the Kid started his life of crime, his short life of crime. He was killed when he was 21. His dad had left. They didn't know where he was. He'd been gone for almost a while. Billy was the oldest in the family, and he went into a little general store and stole food. And then he later shot a man. He was stealing food because his family, his kid brothers, his sisters, his mother, whatever you want, were hungry. Thou shalt not steal. Stealing can actually lead to breaking almost everything else. And then number nine says, Thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor. False witness is telling a lie. And you know the thing about false witness is that it usually starts with some relevance of a truth, and then you just add to that to where it's a lie. You're bearing false witness. I would tell my kids at Bible Heritage when I was teaching this, it's kind of like your friend Timmy is riding his bicycle down uh, uh, Masters Street uh, where Masters and Georgia turn into one another, and uh, Dennis, the price of Dennis liquor is there, and so he cuts across that parking lot, shortcut to take the, the side street to go home, and his friend Sally is driving is going down the street with her mother, and she sees him do that. And so she goes home, and she calls her friend Becky and says, Hey, Becky, you'll never believe who I saw coming out of Dennis the Prostitute's liquor. You see, an element of truth that's added to until it becomes a false witness. We've got to be careful the things that we say. We cannot bear false witness. In fact, the Bible says in the face of two witnesses, to keep from them. Now, that's nine commandments. What about the tenth one? The tenth one actually is what Jesus said, love your neighbor as what? As yourself. If you covet your neighbor's house, if you covet your neighbor's wife, if you covet everything else that your neighbor has, you know what that means? That means that you really don't have a good relationship with yourself. You're always wanting what somebody else has. You settle into the house of your dreams and you love it and then all of a sudden your neighbor builds a bigger and better house with a beautiful swimming pool in the backyard. Oh, you can't stand it. And you want that house and you do everything you can do to try and get that house or whatever. Coveting means that you're not happy with who you are and I've met a lot of people who are not happy with who they are, who can't love their neighbor who can't love God because they do not love themselves. And that brings us to the breathing out of the New Testament, to the breathing out of understanding that it is God that has called us. It's not us being perfect. We never will love ourselves if we are trying to be perfect. 
It's knowing that God has called us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And this picture of the Ten Commandments is a picture of being conformed to the image of God's son. That's how we love ourselves, by knowing that God has first loved us. God has first loved us. I forgot to ask anybody how you end the service. I don't know if you have a public invitation, but let me tell you that any time the scripture is presented to you, it's an invitation for you to make a decision, no matter who you are, no matter how long you've been a Christian, no matter how many times you've been in the church world, the Word of God is a cause for a response to His Holy Spirit breathing on you that you make a decision according to His Word. Let's pray, and then I'm going to turn it over to the dealing with you. Lord, thank you that you love us. I just give this service completely and totally to you. Thank you, Lord, that this is you breathing out on us, your Holy Spirit. And we just praise you and worship you in your precious holy name. Knowing and believing. Amen. We will have people at the front to pray if you would like to come forward.
Thank <laughs> you.